Good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Um, whether you're joining us on-site or online, thank you for joining us this morning. So this year, we as a church, we're studying the Gospel of Luke, and we're calling this series Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke. And our goal is to simply follow Jesus around as he moves through the Book of Luke. And as we watch what he does, and as we listen to what he says, my prayer, my hope is that we will find Jesus beautiful and compelling, and that we'd be more certain of the things that we believe as Christ followers that Jesus really is the Son of God, that he really is the promised Messiah, and that he really is the Savior of the world, and that he really is worth following, no matter how hard that can be at times. Now, the title of today's sermon is Jesus Teaches His Disciples. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, and we're going to read and study a lengthy portion of the Bible today from verse 12 to 49. Because our text is so long, I'm going to break up our reading and read portions of it throughout the sermon. So up until this point in Luke's gospel, we have mostly been watching Jesus. We've watched Jesus cleanse a leper. We've watched Jesus heal a paralytic. We've watched Jesus welcome and hang out with tax collectors and sinners. And we've even watched Jesus heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. Up until now, we've been watching Jesus. Now, today, we're going to be listening to Jesus. We come to the first major teaching of Jesus that's recorded in Luke's gospel, which has traditionally been called the Sermon on the Mount. And which, uh, but today, we're going to begin by reading verses 12 to 19, as that's going to set us up for the Sermon on the Mount. So, people of God, this is God's word. Would you please give it your careful attention? In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor." And he, came to, and he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. In verse 17, Luke tells us who will be listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which begins in verse 20. There are three audiences in this large crowd that, that is gathered around Jesus. First, there are the 12 apostles. They were named in verses 12 to 15. So they were the ones that Jesus chose from among his disciples to be his apostles, and they came down with Jesus from the mountain. Second, there is the crowd of disciples. And third, there is a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem. So you see, these are the people who came to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. You can call them fans of Jesus. They were attracted to Jesus. They even admired Jesus. And they showed up to hear something clever that Jesus was going to say or watch him do a couple of miracles. But they were not followers of Jesus. 
So there were three types of people in this larger crowd. There were apostles, there were followers, and there were fans. Now, we know who the apostles were. They were named individually. But how can you tell the difference between a follower of Jesus and a fan of Jesus? See, what are the marks of a disciple of Jesus? How can you tell the difference between a follower and a fan? You see, what are the signs that someone truly belongs to the kingdom of God that Jesus is proclaiming and bringing? How can you tell someone truly believes that Jesus is the Messiah and is truly following Jesus? And Jesus is going to answer that very question in his sermon today. But before we listen to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I need to clarify the gospel so that we're not confused about the gospel in any way. In the Sermon of Jesus that we're about to read in here, Jesus is not telling us what we need to become or do in order to enter into the kingdom of God. We enter into his kingdom by faith and by faith alone, apart from any kind of good works that we can do or any kind of religious performance. We enter into God's kingdom by believing and trusting that Jesus is is God's Messiah and that he will redeem sinners and restore the world by his death, by his resurrection, and by his return. You see, in the language of the Protestant Reformation, which we celebrated yesterday on October 31st, we are saved or we enter into God's kingdom through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. You see, we are not saved by our, by our good works, but by the sheer grace of God that is shown to undeserving sinners like us. Let's make that clear from the very beginning. And once you're saved, once you're inside the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus, Jesus begins to change and renew you by his spirit who lives inside you. And your life will begin to reveal the beautiful evidences and the marks that show that you really do belong to Jesus and to his kingdom, that you really are a follower of Jesus and not just a fan of Jesus. As the great reformer Martin Luther said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone, but always has with it love and hope. And in this sermon, King Jesus will tell us what he expects of his followers and how they ought to conduct themselves as citizens of his heavenly kingdom. So, according to Jesus, his disciples will be marked by these five things. Jesus' disciples are to be heavenly-minded, loving, gracious, fruitful, and obedient. These are the marks that show that you are truly a follower of Jesus, that you belong to the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Today, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I ask you, would you listen with a self-reflective spirit today, and would you honestly and humbly examine yourself to see if these marks are showing up in your life? You see, some people think They're followers of Jesus, when in reality, they're just fans of Jesus. Now, if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, if you know that you're just a fan of Jesus, by the way, thank you for being here. Thank you for watching the service online. For you, I hope 
that you get a better sense of what Jesus expects of his followers from people who call him Lord. And today, I want you to hear from Jesus himself about the kind of life that he wants his followers to live. And I believe that you'll find it to be a beautiful and compelling life. So first, Jesus' disciples are to be heavenly-minded. Let's read from verse 20 to 26. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So first of all, I want you to notice what Luke tells us in verse 20. Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples. You see, this sermon is for his followers, even though there were a lot of fans who were there and listening in. The things that Jesus is about to say is only true of and only applies to his disciples, to those who follow him. You see, this, is, this sermon is not for everybody. It's just for his disciples, for those who follow him. And that makes all the difference in understanding the Sermon on the Mount. So in verses 20 to 23, Jesus gives four statements that begin with the words, blessed are you. These are called beatitudes. A beatitude is simply a declaration of blessedness. And then in verses 24 to 26, Jesus gives four parallel statements that begin with the words, woe to you. These are called woes, and a woe is simply a, um, a warning of danger. So as we listen to Jesus' Beatitudes and to his woes, they should strike us as odd and confusing. They should strike us as even being backward and upside down. How can Jesus say that his disciples who were poor, hungry, weeping, and persecuted, how can he say that they were blessed? You see, when we hear the words poor, hungry, weeping, and, and persecuted, we don't think they're being blessed. We think, oh, that's so sad. How unfortunate. And when we think, actually, of someone as being blessed, what do we think of? People who are rich, who are full, who are laughing, who are popular. But those are the very people that Jesus says his woes to. So according to Jesus, the people that the world would consider blessed are the very people that he gives his warning to and says that they are in danger. So what's going on here? What Jesus says doesn't seem to make any sense. How are we to make sense of these statements by Jesus? Now here's the key. What Jesus says only makes sense if this life and this world is not all that there is. What Jesus says only makes sense if there really is a kingdom of heaven. 
if there really is a new and eternal kingdom of God. You see, in, in other words, these statements only make sense if you are heavenly minded, if you're able to see your present reality on earth in the light of heaven, in the light of the eternal kingdom of God. So Jesus makes four sets of contrasts, doesn't he? The poor are contrasted with the rich. The hungry are contrasted with the full. The weeping are contrasted with the laughing. And the persecuted are contrasted with the popular. First, let's look at the contrast between the poor and the rich. When Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the, ki for yours is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus was saying this. If you're my disciple, even if you're poor in this world, you are still blessed because you have the kingdom of God. If there really is a kingdom of God, then it is better to be poor in this life and to have the kingdom of God for all eternity than to be rich in this life, but to miss out on the kingdom of God. Friends, do you realize for the past 2,000 years and even to this day, the overwhelming majority of Jesus' followers were and are poor in this life. They were born poor, they live poor, and they die poor. The vast majority of Christians in the majority world are poor, and all they know is poverty. But they are still blessed because they will truly be rich in the life to come because they have the kingdom of God. Remember, this present life is but a few years, like a vanishing vapor. But the life to come, that is for eternity. And when Jesus said, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation, Jesus was saying this, Hey, rich people, if all you have is your money, but you don't have the kingdom of God, then you are the one that ought to be pitied because you will have nothing to console you in the life to come. In Luke chapter 9, verse 25, Jesus will say this, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? See, who cares if you have all the money in the world? Who cares if you're a crazy rich Asian if you don't have the kingdom of God? You will have nothing in the life to come. You see, there are, you see, there are people who are rich in this life who will be truly poor in the life to come. And this present life is just but, uh, but a few years, a vanishing vapor. But the life to come, that is eternal. And Jesus, by saying this woe in the presence of his disciples, he was in, indirectly telling his disciples to not envy the rich. They don't have the kingdom of God. They're truly poor, so don't envy the rich. Be content with the kingdom that you have. Be content with me because I am your true treasure. If you have me, you are rich even though you are poor. See, according to Jesus, it is better to be poor in this life and to have the kingdom of God than to be rich in this life and to be excluded from the kingdom of God. And only heavenly-minded people can see that is true. Next, let's think about the contrast between the hungry and the full. Now, we naturally think that the full are the ones that are blessed. 
But Jesus says the opposite. It's those who are hungry now who are blessed because they shall be satisfied. One Bible commentator put it this way. Blessed are you who sense your lack and depend on God, for God shall accept you and reward you in the consummation. Blessed are those who hunger for God because God will satisfy you with himself, for he is the bread of life. And Jesus says, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. There are many rich people today who seem to have it all, right? They enjoy the good and the finer things of life. They seem to have full lives. But if they don't belong to the kingdom, their emptiness will be revealed on the last day. And they will be truly hungry because they do not have what their souls are truly hungry for, which is God. And only heavenly-minded people can see that this is true. Next, let's think about the contrast between the weeping and the laughing. We think that the laughing are the ones who are blessed, not the weeping. But Jesus says, blessed are those who weep now, for they shall laugh. You see, those who weep over the sins and the evils of this world, those who weep over the brokenness and the miseries of this world, those who weep over the injustices and the oppressions that weak and vulnerable people experience in this life, those who weep over the sickness and suffering that's in this present world, Jesus says they are blessed because they will laugh for joy at the consummation. They will laugh for joy when Jesus returns to make all things new and all things right. You see, those who weep over the brokenness of this world will rejoice at the restoration of this world, which will happen at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And only heavenly-minded people can see that is true. And here's the last contrast. Let's think about the contrast between the persecuted and the popular. Now, we naturally think that it's the popular people who are blessed, not the persecuted people. But Jesus says, those who are persecuted for his sake are blessed because their reward, not in this life, their reward in heaven will be great. You see, if you are persecuted or suffer harm because of your faith in Jesus, because you follow Jesus, because you believe Jesus, because you obey Jesus, Jesus says you are blessed because your reward in heaven will be great. Now, to be fair, I need to say this. It is one thing to be persecuted because you're being faithful to Jesus. And it's another thing to be criticized because you're being a self-righteous, arrogant jerk in Jesus' name, right? Let's humbly acknowledge that some Christians are persecuted for behaving self-righteously, arrogantly, and, and, and obnoxiously, especially on social media. You see, that's not persecution. That's deserved criticism. It's sad but true, but many Christians today are not persecuted for their faith or for their foolishness. But when Christians truly suffer for being faithful to Jesus, like the Christians in China who suffer imprisonment and even death because they refuse to renounce their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are blessed even when they're in prison because their reward in heaven will be great. And only a heavenly-minded person can see 
that a person in prison for Jesus' sake is actually blessed because his or her reward will be great in heaven. Friends, if this life and this world is all that there is, if there is no heaven, then what Jesus says is rubbish and nonsense. If this life is all that there is, then we should do whatever we can to be rich and full and laughing and popular. If this life is all that there is, then let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if there really is a heaven, if there really is an eternal kingdom of God, then that changes everything. The kingdom of God is so glorious that it makes its citizens blessed even if they are poor and hungry and weeping and persecuted for a little while in this world. You see, our suffering in this world may be great, but the glory that awaits us in heaven is so much greater, so much more glorious that it is not worthy to be compared with the things that we suffer for a little while on this, in this life. And only a heavenly-minded person can see that to be true. So let me ask you, are you heavenly-minded? Do you interpret the realities and the circumstances of your, life in this, uh, of your life in this world in the light of heaven? Is the kingdom of God so real and so precious to you that you can still believe that you are blessed even though you may be struggling financially and even though cancer may have intruded into your family and into your life. This is the first mark of a follower of Jesus. He or she is heavenly minded. Here's the second mark. Jesus' disciples are to be loving. Here's what Jesus says in verses 27 to 36. But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus says that his disciples are to be loving. Now the Jews were ready to love their neighbors as the Old Testament commanded, but Jesus goes further and deeper than the Old Testament. Jesus says, not only must you love your neighbors, but you must even love your enemies. Your enemies. 
So what does it mean to love your enemies? Well, Jesus fleshes, fleshes it out for us. He gives us practical ways that we're to love our enemies. He says um, to love your enemies means uh, to do good to those who hate you, to bless those who curse you, to pray for those who abuse you, and to turn the other cheek. So first, to love your enemies means to do good to those who hate you. You see, it is not enough for you to refrain from doing hostile and, and, and hostile acts against your enemies. You need to go further, and you need to actually positively do good acts for those who hate you. To love your enemies means to bless those who curse you. So when they criticize you, when they condemn you, when they slander you, when they say all sorts of negative things about you, what you are to say in return, you are to affirm them. You are to speak well of them. You are to bless them. To love your enemies means to pray for those who abuse you. Jesus commands his followers to think about this, to not punch back. crazy. Jesus' followers are to pray for those who abuse him, to pray for their repentance and for their salvation because they recognize that their abuser is a slave to sin. And their slavery to their sin is dehumanizing them and deforming them. To have compassion on the very person who does not have compassion on you. Now, let me say this. This does not mean that you enable your abuser or you stay in an abusive situation. You must take necessary measures to ensure your safety and to seek justice. But you can still pray for the repentance and the salvation of your abuser while you protect yourself and as you ensure that your abuser faces the just consequences of his or her actions. And fourth, to love your enemies means to turn the other cheek. Now, when someone slaps you on the cheek, insults you, hurts you, to turn the other cheek means that you do not retaliate and that you do not seek vengeance for yourself. Now, again, this does not mean that you don't seek legal justice. You trust law enforcement and the justice system to do its job. But it does mean that you will not take personal vengeance, that you will not take matters into your own hands to execute justice yourself. For the follower of Jesus, personal revenge is forbidden. Instead, you're to do good to those who did evil to you. In verse 31, Jesus gives his uh, uh, followers what is traditionally called the golden rule. And I want you to notice this. Jesus doesn't give the golden rule in the negative. He doesn't say, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Jesus gives it in the positive form, which is far more demanding. He says, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Whatever you want people to do for you, you do that for others. And not just for the people you like, but even for your enemies. You see, according to Jesus, it is not enough to passively not do harm to your enemy. He wants you to actively do good for your enemy. This is what Jesus commands his followers to do. They are to love all people, even their enemies, even the people who hate them, who curse them, and who abuse them. This is what Jesus expects from his followers. And just as 
as you know, Jesus' disciples are the children of God. And as children of, of our Heavenly Father, we're to resemble him. And just as our Father is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil, we are to be kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And just as our Father is merciful, we're called to be merciful, to resemble our Father like father, like son, like daughter. Now, next Tuesday is Election Tuesday, and our country, I don't know if you've noticed, is pretty divided right now. Our country is more polarized and divided than ever before. There's a lot of anger and a lot of fear in our country. And unfortunately, there's a lot of anger and a lot of fear even in churches. Today, I want to remind you that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to love your neighbor and you're also called to even love your enemy. You see, you're called to love those that you may disagree with politically. You're called to love those who may think and vote differently than you. And if Jesus commands you to love your enemies, then how much more should you be loving your brothers and your sisters in Christ, even if you disagree politically? Remember, this is so important. Nobody in the church is your enemy, okay? Nobody in this church is your enemy, even if they vote for the wrong presidential candidate in your opinion. So, for those of you who identify with the Republican Party and, and, and who will vote for Trump on Tuesday, remember that your brothers and sisters who identify with the Democratic Party and who will vote for Biden, they are not your enemies. They're family, and you're called to love them. And to those of you who identify with the Democratic Party and you're going to vote for Biden on Tuesday, remember your brothers and sisters who vote for Trump, who vote Republican, are not your enemies. They're your family, and you're called to love them. As followers of Jesus, we're called to love everyone, even our enemies. Then how much more should we be loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? Amen? Amen? Okay, let me hear a big amen. That's important. So let me ask you, are you a loving person? Do you love all people, even those that you might consider an enemy? Here's the third mark. Jesus' disciples are to be gracious. Let's read from verse 37 to 42. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Jesus says that his disciples are to be gracious 
according to verse 37, they are not to judge other people, they are not to condemn, they are to forgive, and they are to give generously. Jesus wants his followers to be the kind of gracious people who don't judge and condemn people, the kind of people who receive and welcome all sorts of people, especially broken and messed up people like Jesus did. Think about the people that Jesus received into his fellowship, tax collectors, prostitutes, sick people, cripples. He welcomed everybody. And Jesus wants his followers to be the kind of gracious people who, who forgive and who give generously, just as Jesus was forgiving and was generous. So let me ask you, do people experience you to be a gracious person? Are you the kind of person that broken and messed up people like tax collectors and prostitutes can feel safe to be with and around because they know you're not going to judge them. They know you're not going to condemn them. They know you're going to receive them and welcome them because they know that you'll love them. Are you the kind of gracious person that forgives people? You, you don't hold grudges. When someone insults you or hurts you or slights you, you don't hold it against other people, but you freely forgive. Are you the kind of person that's generous with your, your talents, your time, and your treasure, blessing others as God has blessed you? Friends, Jesus calls his followers to be gracious and to be full of grace. Here's the fourth mark. Jesus' disciples are to be fruitful. Let's read from verse 43 to 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit. And again, does a bad tree, nor, does, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus says that his followers will bear good fruit. Now, what is the fruit? What is this good fruit? that Jesus expects to see in the lives of his followers. Well, the Apostle Paul picked up on this imagery of fruit, and he expands on it in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. He says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Because the Spirit of Jesus indwells the followers of Jesus, the Spirit will produce these fruits in, in their lives. Now, I want you to think about this. The fruit of the Spirit perfectly describes who? Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus is loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. And the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is to make us more like Jesus. So the evidence that the Spirit actually indwells us is this, that we are being changed and renewed and transformed day by day to become more and more like Jesus. That is the proof that the Spirit of Christ dwells in you because he is making you more like Christ. So let me ask you, friends, does your life reveal the presence of the fruit of the Spirit? Is there increasing 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control in your life? Are you becoming more like Jesus? And here's the fifth and the most important mark. And we know that this is the most important mark because Jesus saves it for last in the climactic place of emphasis. The fifth and the final mark of a disciple is this. They are obedient. Let's read from verse 46 to 49. And Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock, on the rock, and when a, and when a flood arose, the stream broke out against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke out against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus says that his followers will obey him. Jesus asked rhetorically, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Jesus says that his followers don't just listen to him, they also obey him. You see, friends, you declare that Jesus is your Lord with your words, but you demonstrate that Jesus is your Lord with your obedience. Worshiping Jesus, singing songs of praise to Jesus, praying to Jesus, they're all good and necessary things. But let me ask you, do you obey Jesus? Do you do what he commands you to do? Now, if you, don't, if you don't obey Jesus, if you don't do what he commands, then your claim that Jesus is your Lord rings hollow and empty. Do you obey Jesus even when you don't like what he commands? Even when he commands you to love your enemies? Even when he commands you to forgive those who have hurt you? Friends, it is possible to be a false disciple of Jesus, to be a fan who mistakenly, who mistakenly thinks that he or she is a follower. You see, a false disciple of Jesus says, Lord, Lord, but does not obey Jesus. Fans admire Jesus. Followers obey Jesus. Fans may obey Jesus when they like what Jesus says, when they like what Jesus says, but followers will obey all the commands of Jesus whether they like it or not. Jesus said that the person who hears him but does not obey him is like a man who built his house without a foundation. And when the storms came, that house crashed and the ruin was great. In other words, the person who just listens to Jesus without obeying Jesus is a fan, a fraud, and not a follower. And the apostle James said this in his letter, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So let me ask you today, do you obey Jesus? You see, friends, obedience to Jesus is the ultimate mark that shows that you belong to the kingdom of God, that you are a true follower of Jesus. By ending his Sermon on the Mount with this mark, Jesus is letting us know what the most important mark of his followers are, and it is obedience. Now, let me just say this. If you have no desire 
to obey Jesus. If you have zero thought or concern about what Jesus wants you to do, if you live your life basically doing whatever you want, whatever you think is wise, with zero regard for what Jesus says in his word, then there's a pretty high likelihood that you're just a fan of Jesus and not a follower. Okay, I'm going to give you some real talk right now. Okay, you guys ready? It's been a while since I've given you some real talk, but this is real talk, and I think Jesus would agree. I don't care how long you've been going to church, even if you've been going your whole life. I don't care how many Bible studies that you've been a part of your, your entire Christian life. If you don't obey Jesus, if you have no desire to obey Jesus, then you have no reason to think that you're a follower of Jesus. You're not a follower. You're just a fan. Jesus is not your Lord. You're your own Lord because you're the only person you're going to follow. You're the only person you're going to obey. You don't care about Jesus' will. All you care about is your will. You see, the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to you is to think and to deceive yourself into thinking that you're a follower of Jesus only to realize on the last day that you were a fan all along. And Jesus will say to you, I never knew you. Depart from me. Those are some sobering, terrifying words. So I ask you again, do you obey Jesus as Lord? Does doing his will matter to you? A follower of Jesus will be obedient to Jesus. That is the most important mark of a follower of Christ. So what? Let's recap. I went kind of long today. So what are the marks of a disciple of Jesus? Jesus' disciples are to be heavenly-minded, loving, gracious, fruitful, and obedient. Again, these are not marks that you try to produce in yourself in order to get into the kingdom of God. These are the marks that the Holy Spirit produces in you because he lives inside you. And these marks are produced in you as you meditate, my friends, on the gospel, as you meditate on Jesus and what he did for you. You can rejoice and count yourself blessed even though you may be poor, hungry, weeping, and persecuted because Jesus was willing to become poor, hungry, weeping, and persecuted for you so that you might be saved. You can love people, even your enemies, because Jesus loved you while you were his enemy. Think about this, friends. Jesus died for you not when you were his friend. He died for you when you were his enemy so that you can become his friend. And you can be gracious to people because Jesus was gracious to you. Jesus didn't judge you. Jesus didn't condemn you. In fact, he took your judgment for you so that you could be forgiven. And you can bear the fruit of the Spirit because Jesus, Jesus dwells in you right now by his Spirit. And you can obey Jesus because Jesus was obedient even to the point of death for you. Because of his great love for you, Jesus obeyed the Father, went to the cross, laid down his life for you. And when you see Jesus loving you like that, it makes you want to love him back and to obey him because you know that everything that he commands you to do is for your good and because you want to show Jesus how much you love him by obeying him. So I ask you today to examine yourself. Are you a follower or are you a fan? Do you simply admire Jesus or do you obey Jesus? Does your life show the marks of a follower? Now, if some or most of these marks are missing in your life, don't despair. 
today I would say to you, repent. Believe the gospel again. And ask the Holy Spirit to produce these marks in your life. And for those of you who are here and you're just curious about Jesus, thanks for being here or thanks for watching online. Today, to you I want to say, stop being a fan of Jesus and start following Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Believe that Jesus can save you and he will restore the world through his death, resurrection, and return. And if you follow Jesus, he promises that by his spirit, he'll begin to transform you and your life will show these beautiful marks and you can become the, the kind of beautiful person that Jesus describes in his sermon. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. Thank you that your word comes with such clarity and precision. God, I pray that uh, every one of us who have read um, your word today, who have listened to the sermon, that we be able to examine ourselves and to see if we're in the kingdom or not, if we're followers or fans of Jesus, and if we realize that we're not in the kingdom, if we've, if we've just been fans all along, I pray that today we would repent today and believe with all of our hearts that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, and that we would follow him, putting all of our trust and all of our hope in him, so that his spirit might produce these beautiful marks in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.